0: back. You are listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live steve And we want to welcome you to the Xbox Series X and PS5 Hands-On Impressions Part 2. In episode 200 today, November 21st, 2020. If you didn't get a chance to listen to part one, we highly encourage you to do so by going back to last week's episode and be able to listen in on what we had to say about the packaging and box art, the consoles themselves, as we had them in our hot little sweaty hands, as well as the controller comparisons. And so lots of of great information that was covered with that. In this particular episode, we are going to be going through the the data transfer experience for both systems, what the dashboard UI is like for both systems, and, of course, what kind of games that are available. And, it, and it's kind of a, a interesting situation in, in 2020, kind of this, this thing that we've talked about many times in previous episodes of Joygasm, where it is uh, an unprecedented time. For us to be living in where when you have the launch of a next-gen console platform, there are literally no actual launch killer app must-have titles that are released with it. So most of what you're going to hear in that part of the program is going to be talking about pre-existing games that we just want to see how the they perform, essentially. Like, what, what is the 60 frames per second experience like versus various games that offer more of a graphics update. Going on from controllers to um, the whole data transfer thing. So Nick, tell me about um, your experience with regards to moving your information from your Xbox One to the Xbox Series X.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I think in order to really comprehensively talk about that, you have to talk about the memory situation. So for those who have an Xbox uh, One X or an Xbox S or any of the older Xboxes, even the original Xbox One, you probably have an external hard drive that you have hooked up uh, in order to house all of your games and information, which isn't really a big deal. And in a lot of cases, depending on what external drive you got, sometimes your load times and such could be faster actually off of the um, external hard drive as opposed to the, the internal one. Well, it's a little bit different this time around. Uh, the Xbox Series X has what they're calling, I believe it's velocity architecture. And the whole design behind it is that this thing can load games fast, super fast, but has a drawback. And the drawback is that the only way you can get those fast load times is one of two ways. You have to utilize the onboard SSD on the Xbox uh, Series X. So that's one terabyte. And with 4K gaming, true 4K gaming, these games are huge and they fill it up quick. I think I have 14 titles on mine and it's just about full. And... Or you can use the Seagate memory card style SSD that hooks in directly to Xbox's velocity architecture and will continue to have those super fast load speeds and times and the increased frame rates. If you hook in with your old external, because I have an external from my Xbox One X and I can hook it in, it loses all of that functionality. It, It cannot take advantage of the velocity architecture. So your games will work. And they will look better and and whatnot, but you lose all the advantages of the quick load times. I think also you cannot quick resume. And I'll I'll talk more about that later um, if you're running off of an external hard drive currently. So that being said, the process, right? So we have one terabyte to deal with. So I had to be very, very, very selective. Very judicious. (laughs) Yes, about which games I wanted, and uh, I have to say there's a couple games I wanted to keep on that are games that I just hop in every so often if I'm bored or whatever that I had to leave off because I just didn't have the space. Like I said, I think I'm holding about 14 games on there, so it filled up really, really fast, which is crazy because a terabyte used to seem like just a ridiculous amount of space, and now it's it's just like everything else. (laughs) It's, it's some space, but I could use more, you know, kind of how we felt about gigabytes for a while there, you know, before terabytes came along. It's just eventually everything catches up and that's certainly what's happened here. So I've got my one terabyte. I picked my 14 games or so. And uh, they have a couple ways you can do the transfer. You can either just go log on to Xbox Live Marketplace, go to any game that you've bought, or if you have Game Pass, if it was a game you download from Game Pass, and you could pick and choose and download them that way. Or you could do a box to box transfer if you were on the same network. Now, I don't know how fast this would be if you're on an ethernet setup. Uh, my house, for whatever reason, I don't know why was built in 2017, but they decided not to run ethernet anywhere in here. So I'm running my stuff off of Wi-Fi. So it may be a better experience with Ethernet. I can't say for sure. But uh, so I transferred my Wi-Fi from my Xbox One X to my Xbox Series X. By the way, Microsoft, you really got to change up your nomenclature for these things. Way too close together. Very confusing for people. (laughs) Be nice if their names were a little bit different, if you know what I mean. (laughs) It's it's. Uh, it's, it's mildly confusing. I'm like, am I always saying the right one? Did I tell them the right thing? I have no idea. Yeah. What the anyway, it's happening. Yeah. yeah, totally. But anyway, so it took two days and I kid you not two full days of this thing running for it to download my games from my Xbox one X to the series X. And that was supposedly supposed to be the faster way of the two rather than downloading them again from, from the store out of your library. So it is a process. So if you're planning on playing something and you've got your heart set on trying one of these things out right away, I suggest that you uh, load that game first, get it all loaded up and then do your transfer because uh, once it gets going, it's, it's going to be a while before anything gets done. And I have pretty, pretty fast speeds for internet. I I got like 350 megabytes per second for my download speeds. So um, I have a pretty robust, internet, you know, I'd say I'm upper middle of the pack, I guess, you know, I know some people are running gig speeds and stuff and so it may be faster for you, but so for me at a 350 megabyte per second download speed, yeah, it took me about two days to get 14 games completely transferred over. And then once I got them over, um, a lot of them had to update again because some of them had Xbox um, series X and S compatibility. So then you go to play it and then it'd be like, no, it's not ready. And then you'd have to go back in and do some downloads again. Um, so it, it's definitely a process. So if people should prepare themselves for that, I don't know if there's really a good way to get around it, uh, just because the assets that are used for 4k are so large. Um, they're big file sizes. And, uh, so as it was a little frustrating cause I was hoping to get in and try some stuff like right off the bat and, um, ended up have to re- have to wait two days basically before I could really start pushing the thing through its paces.
0: It sounds like that was pretty much the only, hang up really is having to wait for everything to transfer from the Xbox one over to the Xbox series X. But other than that, in terms of the, the transfer, it sounds like it was just about everything was, was automated in terms of your, your saved game data being moved over your, your saved games. Like there really wasn't any kind of laborious process when it came to that. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. For the most part, basically the way it worked is you have to have them both on the same network, which of course mine were, and that's going to be the majority of people I would think. I don't think you're going to have separate networks in your house. Maybe you do if you have a business one, but anyway, have them on the same network. Uh, you have the Xbox app on your phone. You go in there, you, you put it in really quick. It has a whole tutorial when you plug in the Xbox series X that goes through so that it recognizes it as your console. And then you enable a couple of, um, functions inside the Xbox itself um it's uh it's in the settings and it is oh gosh I'm trying to think of the exact term it's a tra- it's transfer but it's um oh bloody heck what is the dang word I'm looking for anyway <laughs> there's a feature that you you enable on the Xbox um your old Xbox and on the new Xbox that allows basically a transfer within your own your own network. Oh, network transfer. I think that's actually what it's called. Oh, So you right, just, yeah. you just enable that and then you go onto the Xbox One X and go to that same thing. And it'll say, which one do you want to transfer from? So my Xbox uh, One X uh, was named Moosebox. And then I named the, the new one, the fridge. So <laughs> nice. I went on the fridge, found the Moosebox, said, yes, transfer everything from there. And then bloop, it starts transferring everything and if you have any issues with space which i did i tried to transfer more than it could fit and initially that was the one that was the one hiccup initially what i told it to send because it lets you pick and choose what you want to send over um, out of a list it said it would fit but then once it got it over there and i think once it started pulling in game saves and um t- dlcs and things of that nature then I ran into it being a little bit more space than it initially told me it was going to. So there were a couple of things I was going to download that I had to say no to. So that was one, the one little kind of weird hiccup. But other than that, sure. it's like Once I had it going, it's just I just left it on and walked away.
0: See, that's that's really nice. When, when I am able to get mine, I look forward to having the, the um, expedited experience like that. The PlayStation was not as seamless in that regard. This is actually one of the the criticisms I have of the system. And Steve can talk a bit about this as well, because he was there for it. I mean, it took us uh, roughly about an hour and a half to figure out how to get this system rolling in terms of of the, the data transfer. And the reason for that being is that Sony... So they, they have kind of like, like a a partitioned approach where like on the one hand you have various games that you've bought. So like, for instance, if you have a physical copy of the game, you can just, you know, put the disc into the PS five and it'll load the necessary game data and then be able to play the game. That's pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. If you have digital downloads, however, of games that are installed, then that is also pretty painless as well. You can go into your PS5 as long as you log into your profile and be able to um, identify who you are and then it'll, it'll populate your library of games. That was actually not bad. The pain point came into the actual saved game data. So what I had to do is I actually had to turn my PS4 on and I had to go in th- you know, through the same type of settings that you were describing essentially find where all of my saved game data was located. And then I had to upload that saved game data to the PlayStation plus servers. And then once that was done, then I went back to my PS five and then I had to download that same data um, and make sure that it actually was complete and, and, you know, actually working with the game. So like for instance, I had a physical copy of Final Fantasy VII Remake, so I put the disc into the PS5, and we kept checking to see if I could could play the game, and so we were at the title screen of Final Fantasy VII, but the continue option was grayed out, and it wasn't until the system was finally done actually downloading the, the saved game data that then it updated itself, and it refreshed, the continue button was then clickable, and I was able to continue where I left off. Um, but for me, it, I was a bit disappointed in the sense that I feel like in this day and age, that type of data should automatically be available in the cloud somewhere. Like, like that kind of stuff. I shouldn't have to be manually turning on and off certain systems to get that necessary information to my next console. I, I really do believe, especially because Sony has an online presence. They have multiplaying um, online type of, of uh, gaming and platform that, that has been in, in existence for multiple years now. And I find it interesting how they don't, have as a as much of a robust um, cloud presence as Microsoft because Microsoft has their structure set up in such a way where I believe um, a lot of a lot, if not all, of the saved game data is hosted on their servers. So you can literally go to your next console and as long as you activate your profile, that I believe that information is is. Um, somehow ID tagged to your profile. Yeah, that's correct. Which is, okay. so I mean, and, that, and that's really convenient. I think that's really nice. So, I mean, again, it wasn't like a deal breaker or anything for the PS5, but I did find it interesting how, you know, Steve was over looking on the internet, trying to see like what kind of instructions there were. And I'm trying to, to go through it as well. And we were able to figure it out, but it, but it did feel less of a cohesive ecosystem, if you will. Like that's one of the things I really like about Microsoft when it comes to their, their Xbox platform is they have a very organic, all, all encompassing, inclusive type of experience where I'm not concerned about where my information is. I know that they have it somewhere within the Xbox cloud, the X cloud, right? Uh, That, that was really nice. In yeah, terms,
1: oh, as I say, that's the
0: advantage of the what is it the uh, the Xbox
1: server situation was because they use the Azure cloud system, right? What it's called. I mean, it's the biggest in the world, and you you see the advantage of, of that in that regard. And you know,
0: it's well. And one of the things I was thinking about is what if uh, a customer does not have a, a pre existing PlayStation Plus membership. Because my understanding is, is that that is kind of like their version of Xbox Live, right? Like if you want to go online and be able to play and that sort of thing, you have to have a PlayStation Plus membership. So for those who don't, the only other option that they made available is, well, you can use a USB stick to plug into your PS4, get your game, your saved game data that way, and then plug that USB stick into the PS5 and you can get it that way. Which to me is like, okay, it's nice that they have that as a plan B, but at the same time, once again, it's removing me from the ecosystem that is the Sony PlayStation. Like everything should be readily available, even if they had something set up where, you know, you don't have to be a PlayStation Plus member in order to for, for them to still have some semblance of access to your saved game data for situations like this. Because at the end of the day, you basically want a turnkey solution, don't you? You want to be able to take the system out, plug it in, and you're ready to play as soon as possible.
1: Well, and I think that's why you see the advantages that the Xbox has had with backwards compatibility because they have invested into this style of um, ecosystem for a very long time. And so even right now, if you have like Game Pass and you're downloading old 360 games that you've had, like uh, like I was recently introducing my wife to Castle Crashers, really fun. Uh, Xbox oh yeah, it's a classic platform. I love the art; just a great game. It still has my game saves from back when I played it on the Xbox 360. You know, it pulls them over automatically, and so. I, but I think that that takes a lot of information, a lot of investment in your your server system, and I just I wonder if that is part of the reason why you've seen Sony be reluctant to. Jump all in into backwards compatibility because I, I I have to imagine that kind of architecture is not cheap, right? And as we know, Microsoft of course makes most of its money elsewhere than Xbox, and uh, that kind of funds a lot of the things that we get to enjoy over here in Xbox land. So yeah, you see that going on and. It's not a smooth transfer. And, like, even right now, if you don't have Xbox Gold or Xbox Game Pass, your stuff is still saved there. All of your saved games are still on their cloud. So, for people who have not opted into those ecosystems, they still have the same advantage when it comes to transferring stuff, you know, console generation to console generation. But I have to think that that, that has to play somewhat into why we see um, such a disparity in backwards compatibility.
0: Right. So, Steve, what did you think of the PS5's dashboard UI design?
2: Well, I can't I can't weigh in on, on game transfer.
0: Oh, well, sure, if you want. <laughs> I, I, I go, go, I'm sorry, <laughs> Steve, go ahead.
2: Get talk. I, I almost think that we were doing something wrong because I've seen other people like, yeah, I just uh, set it up and logged into the system and I found it on the network and that's all I had to do. So I don't know if there was something we did wrong, but it, it definitely did take oh a, a minute lots of yeah. minutes and i remember i checked in with you i was coming home from work i'm like hey so, 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 so did you get one because yeah, i mean, I can come over and then we can check it out and then you're <laughs> like yeah cheer come on over i got a couple meetings we can't do anything till uh you know i'm ready and so then i came over and i was like you know skipping my way over to your house like we got one we got what <laughs> and then we walk upstairs and we set it up and then it's just like we're looking at a menu and then we're looking at another menu and then we're looking at it and then and then the thing was with the the the, the voice to not voice to text but the um accessibility what, what is it called where the the system tells you whatever cursor you're on like if you're if you're going through the alphabet you when you're on the letter a it'll say a and if you're on the letter B, oh you're talking about accessibility uh, and so that came on by default for some reason and so everything we were trying to do in the game the get the system was telling us in a computerized like voice from 2010 or earlier uh what we were doing we're like well how do we shut this thing up what is going on Um, and so that it was like that for, I mean, the majority of the initial experience. So when it got to be about, I don't know, midnight 30, I I looked at Russ like, dude, I am passing out. Is there anything we can do here? (laughs) And you're like, well, I mean, I'm loading up some games. Let's see if it works with Final Fantasy. And so then it, you know, Final Fantasy didn't have the, the upgrade patch for it yet. And I was going through a list of like, hey, all these other games, can we load up one of these? You're like, I don't have all those, but they're for Microsoft. I'm like, great. And so it really got down to it. I'm like, I can't stay awake. Like, this is taking frigging forever. I got to go. So it wasn't until the next day um, that you actually had a god of war loaded up. Thanks, Russ. Oh, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, I couldn't make it over because I, I one of my co-workers... Uh, his spouse may have COVID, so I wanted to keep Russ healthy because of a big heart and I care about him. And um, so I had to stay away on the day we were going to play some games. But yeah, we may have done something wrong. But uh, if it, in, in the long run, if it works, small hurdle to cross.
0: There you go. Yeah. As long as you get into work, then fine. But yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because one of the, the quirky things about the PS5 is th- some of the presets are kind of head scratchers. And, and to Steve's point, so um, they, they, you can tell that, that the user experience side of things, they wanted to make sure that anybody uh, could be able to get through the initial welcoming process. And one of those things is you had this voice that came on and it, was, it, it sounded kind of like the voice you hear on PlayStation commercials, you know, that whole like PlayStation. But the problem is, is that it sounds catchy in the commercial because you hear it for like two seconds. But then when you're going through and, and it's literally calling out every single menu as you highlight it, and if you're using the keyboard, every letter that you go across, it, it's, it's calling those letters out to you in that voice. It's, and again, this is a heavily synthesized, like next generation speak and spell voice, right? It, it's a, not B. exactly, it's, it's not like A, B, C. You know, it's not like that at all. So like, like you're, you're being accosted um, audibly the whole time. And as someone who is a UI UX designer, my suggestion would be um, have the voice initially come on and welcome you and have an overlay that says, Would you like to continue listening to me? Yes or no? And at that point, you can have someone who does rely on that to say yes. Or for those of us who don't need it, we can say no and then continue on through the welcoming process. But we literally had to get through all of that and then on top of that, find the setting to turn it off. And maybe, it was by by accident that we found it.
1: Maybe, maybe the
0: system knew you were old. And so
1: it thought you needed help. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I guess so. Who knows? But it was it was weird, and like there there were other options too. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I remember there were some other things like with the speaker setup and some other uh, little settings that for me I thought were puzzling that they were selected by default the way they were. Just because I'm thinking, no, like that that doesn't make any kind of sense. So like again, not a huge thing, but but definitely worth noting in terms of of more of a of a. a criticism i have in terms of the the overall setup experience i, I feel like like the xbox is much more seamless um, it, was, it
1: was pretty seamless for the most part
0: so going from that into the dashboard ui nick when it comes to the xbox dashboard from what i've seen online it looks like there's really not a huge departure from the xbox one is that right Yeah,
1: basically we got the new UI for the most part, uh, I want to say a week or two ago on Xbox One X. Um, So kind of already had a feel for what it was like. Uh, I do really like they made the entire dashboard and your home screen there completely customizable. And uh, that may have been available on the the One X and the One S and all the older generation as well. Um, And I may just not have noticed it, but since I was, of course, you know, getting the new toy out, taking the new car out for a spin.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know
1: what I'm saying? I had to delve into all the nitty gritty and dig into that beast and see what kind of stuff was powering it. So yeah, so I was going through all the menus and I realized, man, you can change everything. You can put exactly what games you want on that home screen. You can change the order stuff pops in. So if you want the first thing to be um, after the you know the initial screen, which shows the last few things you've opened, last few games you played to be the Game Pass, you could have that. Or if you want it to be the game you're playing most right now, you could have it be that. Or you could even have it be, uh, you can even put your friends, like your top friends, so that you can easily access them without having to get in your friends menu. You can put them there. Um, uh, just complete functionality. And it's very wide open. Kind of reminded me of an Android phone in that uh, you pretty much make it whatever you want it and have it set up to give you quick access to whatever things interest you. So I was really, really enjoying that. It's really easy to navigate. Um, I, I've, I've thought for a long time that Xbox has been a, a little bit ahead of PlayStation pretty much every step of the way, going back to 360 with their their user interfaces. Yeah. And I think that um, – I haven't seen the PS5, so I don't know. You'll have to tell me what it's like. But I know with the PS4 from when I had one, this is definitely – a much better um, UI, in my opinion, easier to navigate, much more customizable. You know, the ability to make it exactly what you want. And I think that's a, a great, great move by them.
0: Yeah. When it comes to the PS5 UI design, Steve, what did you think?
2: Yeah, you know, I thought it was a lot better than the, the regular PS4. Um, I remember making comments to you that it did seem... A lot more Xboxy in a sense, where they took. I mean, they took a note from just the the real user friendliness of it. Um, I felt a lot easier to kind of navigate. I mean, I, I think Sony with the PS4, they they took they took the minimalist approach in that regard, saying, so "Hey, we're going to put the minimal amount of stuff on here." It's basically two lines, you know, your games and your and your store and whatnot on one line, and then now look like kind of menu items and your achievements, notifications, kind of up top, or you know, whatnot, but. You just kept having to scroll through one line. Oh, there it is, you know. And then um, and it was, otherwise, just looking at, you know, waves of different colors. mean, it's pleasant, but it's just not that user friendly uh, versus the Xbox. Where they kind of give you a bunch of stuff right up front saying, OK, here's everything where you want to go. And so it looks like they they took that approach and kind of combined their idea with Microsoft's idea and I think it I think it definitely works there's a lot more readily available insight to choose from where you want to go.
0: Yeah. I am and I agree. I think that when it comes to Um, the difference between PS4 and PS5. So PS4's UI, uh, you know, it functions and it gets the job done, but it wasn't as nearly immersive or organically pleasing as the Xbox. And, And, you know, I totally agree with you, Nick. I think... Uh, when it comes to the the overall UI designs of the, the Xbox dashboards, Microsoft has really done a nice job. I will say, though, that the most recent update that they gave on the Xbox One, which sounds like it's the same for the Xbox Series X, I wasn't happy about the removal of the horizontal menu at the top, like the header menu nav. Um, and if you recall, it was it was accessed by hitting the bumper buttons. If you hit the left or right bumper, it would take you to these different sections. And I really like that. It was nice to be able to have just these um, siloed categories, if you will. And then you can um, scroll down vertically through each category if you wanted to. And I was so surprised that they removed that. And now it's a predominantly vertical list that you have to go down. I was thinking, my goodness, this is, I, I do not care for this type of approach. Now, what's interesting about the PS5 UI is you can tell they did take some notes from Microsoft, and that's a very good thing. So they have some of that, that top menu nav implemented into their, their UI. So you have the, the shoulder buttons that can go back and forth, which is really nice. And the overall look while it is somewhat aesthetically similar to the PS4's UI design, they have made it a lot cleaner. The layout looks really nice. I didn't feel overwhelmed by everything. It didn't feel as cluttered or as like off balanced as the PS4 menu has felt to me in the past. And... I haven't even begun to really explore some of the other types of features that the UI has, such as looking up game information based on the current game I'm playing or having a a party set up yet. So I can't really speak to those, those areas yet. Uh, But I can say though, I am happy with what I have seen so far in the last two days. And it's very encouraging because I think anytime that, that, that you see like some sort of advancement in that it's like, okay, now as a result, subconsciously I want to hang out longer in this world, right? Like the Sony PS4, like I would literally start the system up and I would try and get to the game I want to play as quickly as possible. And the games that I have played on the PS4 are a lot of fun. They've had some terrific games, but it's interesting to me how forgettable to me the the PS4's UI is. That's not the case in the PS5. In the PS5, I find myself wanting to explore and discover more of what this this UI has to offer. And I think that that is um, a big positive in my book. And I think that when it comes to the, the, the Microsoft Xbox UI, there are still things about it that they have carried over from the previous iteration that work extremely well. I mean, like, I think Microsoft has been very successful over the years of honing in and iterating upon things that they know work very well. So yeah, it's, it's cool to see that. I'd be curious, Nick, when you get, when you get your own PS five, if you have the same type of response to it, because I know the three of us, we tend to do most of our gaming on Xbox. And so I'm here to tell you, I, I do think that that Sony has made some, some strides in, in the, the very right direction. The last is the last item on the the overall list that I have is, of course, games. And I think what's interesting about this type of situation with um as it applies to the, the next gen is this is the first time where we really don't have bona fide next generation titles available on day one of a system launch. And both companies have really leaned on the pre-existing library of games from their older consoles to be played on on the the next-gen consoles. Now, it is interesting because, like, for instance, on Sony's side, they have Spider-Man, Miles Morales, they have Demon's Souls, uh, maybe a couple of others, but really, like, those are are kind of more designed for the PS4. I mean, Demon's Souls, yeah, sure. Like, it was an older title that they revamped for the PS5. So that one's probably a bit more of an appropriate look at next-gen graphics. But from what I've seen, it's not like, like built from the ground up as a 100% this is a next-gen title. So um, at this point, we really only have pre-existing games to kind of talk about in terms of having that option, right? Like, do you want the 60 frames per second experience versus do you want some of the um, the up-res, subsampling, 4K type of experience. And so, Nick, have you been able to, to experience some of that with the games that you already have?
1: Yes. You know, it, it's funny. I've been thinking about kind of the change over to this new console generation. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of bleed over from kind of the PC world. We're, we're getting to a point now where... Upgrades are more about the system than the software, if you know what I mean there. So like in a PC, you know, after a while, your video card isn't up to snuff anymore. You go and you make some upgrades to your GPU, you get a new video card, maybe you get some better RAM, you know, and the next thing you know, bang, you're pumping out, you know, your old games at way higher frame rates with, you know, higher resolutions and, you know, you kind of go back and enjoy some of these things that you used to play uh, in all of their glory. They're, you know, the ultra settings per se. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with this generation of consoles. Uh, We're getting to a point where the graphical jumps, they're just not as obvious as, say, like going from, if you went straight from like 16-bit gaming, like I did on a Super Nintendo, and then the next system that I bought after that was a PlayStation 1, you know? Like that was a humongous jump graphically. Sure. Com- completely game-changing. And, you know, the fidelity difference there was, was significant. We've already seen 4K gaming, right? Uh, y- whether it's, you know, a pseudo 4K or not, we've seen 4K gaming on both the PS4 Pro and the Xbox uh, One um, X. And these are offering, in a way, more of the same. But what they are offering you is the latest and greatest in frame rates, uh, features like uh, HDR and auto HDR, ray tracing, uh, and other things of that, that are going to take your games and just make them that much more alive, that much more realistic, that much brighter, you know, and, and much more smooth. And so I decided, long story short, to put some games through the paces. I had a couple games that were automatically optimized for Xbox uh, One Series X. The main one that I've been trying out is Borderlands. Um, and the thing that's nice about it is that it came on the one X with a resolution or a performance mode. I always played on performance mode on my one X because I wanted to make sure I could keep the frame rate up and not have any juddering or anything like that. Oh yeah. You know? And so, but now on the series X, I'm like, all right, I'm going to switch this thing over to per, perform or from performance to resolution. Wow. It, it is buttery smooth. It holds 60 frames. No problem. Um, no hiccups whatsoever. And then with the, the new HDR effects, and Borderlands is a weird game and that has a very cartoon-like style. So it's not the most realistic game, but they do a lot of really bright color palette. And so with the HDR, and then with some of the ray tracing with the lighting and whatnot, I was amazed at how certain things, particularly lighting, ended up having a much more realistic look in a game that is clearly more comical in its approach and its uh, visual um, presentation. So, but it was noticeable. It was noticeable. And then, like I said, the frame rate changes and just being that it's just rock steady 60 frames per second made a very, very big difference in the way that you're able to play it. And it's kind of like, I feel like, okay, now I'm enjoying the optimized version of this game. And yeah, I could have got it for my computer and played on there, but at, the, at my heart, I'm a console gamer. I like to sit on my couch. I like a controller yeah. in my hand, you know, to be looking at my big TV. And that's, that's just how I prefer to game. And so it's, I think the thing that's nice is we're seeing that these, these new consoles are capable of putting out hardware performance on par with a a, a mid to mid upper tier PC, And so I saw it in that the probably the most impressive things I would say, um, in my experience thus far, the load times, number one, the load times are just lightning fast compared to what you're used to on the old consoles. I want to say that I timed borderlands three and normally you log into the game, it shows you a couple of the menus that, that, uh, show the, you know, the engines that they're using and at the 2k logo comes up and then claptrap appears and he sits there and he walks across the bottom of your screen over and over and again. And a big yellow bar would appear and this, this bar, well, it's a white bar and it would slowly fill up with yellow as it loads. I kid you not. It took two to three minutes for that game to load. It loads in 17 seconds now. Wow. Yeah really fast, <laughs> super fast. Um, you, you click on a game save, you're in the game in seconds. You know, it, it's, it's incredible, uh, game like destiny. I played destiny two. my daughter wanted to do the new expansion. So I got it for, her. so I decided to try that out. Now it's, it's getting optimized. It hasn't been optimized yet, but even just as it stands, that's another game. We're logging into that game. It's like, okay, I'm logging into destiny, hit a, go get a cup of coffee, use the bathroom, pet the dog, come back up. I might be at the screen to select my character to get in. Maybe not. Literally, yeah. it takes like probably almost five minutes for that game to load. It takes forever. You're in I that do game wonder, in about 30 seconds.
0: I do wonder if that is going to last once we actually get the tried and true next-gen built-from-the-ground-up games. Because I I can see how like right right now we're we're all having fun with various titles that have been already released for the Xbox One and the PS4. And so obviously these machines, because they are more powerful, are able to load these at much faster rates. But I suspect that will not be the case for new games moving forward. I really think that we're going to have to wait longer because those games have a whole lot more that they're going to have to load up. Um, But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like there will be um, a noticeable shortened load time, even for those types of games. But hey, I think that it, it's great what you had to say about having the these library of games that we all still like to play just because they're older doesn't mean they're no fun to play and being able to actually play them in an optimized form like you talked about. I think is fantastic, and I think in terms of the PS5, it's the same type of deal. Steve unfortunately didn't get a chance to really look at this. He did um, check out Astro's Playroom, um, and there there was a lot of memorable things in there to take note of in terms of what the the hardware is capable of. One of the things that I think is also worth mentioning, like Steve was talking about, the, the you know your character turns into like this robot spring of sorts. And you could feel the the controller feeling like like more like a like a spring, like when you when you have the force uh, of springing up and down and that sort of thing. Also, based on how you are are directing the controller is based on like which direction the character will bounce from and to. One of the things that was really neat was like, as I was playing by myself, there's another moment where the main character jumps into this like cyborg monkey. And what's really neat is that you were climbing up the sides of these cliffs, but the way you did it was you had to like, like both the left trigger and the right trigger represented um, the left hand and the right hand of the monkey. But you also had to um, rotate, like you had to rotate your controller uh, by 45 degree angles to the left and to the right to, to simulate the idea of you reaching for the next, like rock or crag along the cliff to be able to, to, to pick yourself up and climb up higher and higher. So it was really neat that, that they were having those types of, um, I don't know, like, like just the, the, the interactivity with the controller as it applied to being on screen. So really, I, and, I, and I haven't even gotten through all of what Astro's playroom has to offer. So I look forward to, to experiencing more of the different tech demo parts. Um, I, I did put in God of War and I had a very similar experience as to what you were describing, Nick, where you had both a performance mode of 60 frames per second or you can have more of the, the graphics fidelity increase. It was weird playing God of War at 60 frames per second. I don't know what it is, but it was bizarre to me how like I'm moving around and it's like so buttery smooth I ended up going to the other direction of uh, putting it on more of the 4K mode. And I don't have a 4K TV. That's one of the, the bummers in my situation. I'm still working off or playing off of a 1080p television setup. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm missing out on some of the, the goodness. Having said that, though, there are um, certain areas where the game is up and and the subsampling does kick in. So it does, in fact, look a little bit better than what I've been um, experiencing on my PS4 Pro. Um, so I think that that's worth noting. And I think, once again, once I'm able to actually invest in a 4K TV, I think they're going to see even more of that because the, the the PlayStation Pro, the PS4 Pro, it didn't have a bona fide, from the ground up, 4K architecture setup like the Xbox One X has.
1: No, it has and so it,
0: Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see with the PS5 now that it it is from the ground up being 4K, how these older games are going to stack up. And I I do think it's going to be a lot of fun. And there are games like God of War and Spider-Man and others where I intentionally did not play the new game plus mode simply because I wanted to, to, to experience that on the PS5 with all the optimizations in place. I was also able to check out Marvel's Avengers briefly. Same kind of deal. I put it on performance mode. I'm looking at 60 frames per second. I'm thinking, man, it's so weird. Like it's it, it sounds odd to say this, but it's almost like it kind of cheapens the graphics in a way. Like the graphics don't look as sophisticated with it being 60 frames per second. And I can't put my finger on why that is as opposed to the graphics mode because obviously the game is a very beautiful game. It's one of the latest releases uh, and there's a lot to appreciate about it. So I'm still trying to figure out why that is exactly. But I know that there are certain games that are 60 frames per second or even if you're able to play it at 120 frames per second that benefit greatly when it comes to that, like racing games, flight games. I bet Star Wars Squadrons would be amazing with that type of setup. Fighting games is another one. First person shooters would be another one. Um, so it's it'll be interesting to see moving forward what other titles have benefited from this type of setup. And so, it, I don't know, it, it's going to be also really cool once I'm able to have kind of an in-hand side-by-side comparison of the two consoles. But it is just unprecedented that we don't have... I mean, e- even Ratchet & Clank uh, Wild Rift was one I was looking forward to as a day-one launch title, and that got pushed back, I think until first quarter of next year i want to say
1: yeah that sounds right real quick on the tv thing so that that is something to consider with these these consoles truthfully there is only a couple of tvs that can really completely take advantage of everything that either one of these consoles can offer currently uh there are more coming to market um in the coming year especially towards the uh, the third and uh, fourth quarters of next year. So I would say for anybody that's listening or for you, Russ, that uh, if you want to get good bang for your buck and really be able to experience everything that your console is able to do and you are in the market for a TV or even considering getting one, I would recommend just... Keep what you got and hold off until, yeah, third or fourth quarter next year. We're going to see a lot more TVs coming that have the 120 hertz and beyond refresh rates and things of that nature that are really going to let you maximize what these consoles can do. I've been looking up a lot of information on that actually the last couple of days. Uh, I'm lucky in that I have a 420p uh, or a 4, uh, pardon me, a 4K TV and I don't know why I said 420 thinking about too many things at once, uh, but, uh, 420, what the heck? Yeah. Apparently I'm a pothead now. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> not true. Uh, but it does 60. So I can take advantage of the 60 frames and, and whatnot, but I, the, the titles that offer 120, like I think Gears of War is multiplayer, for instance, does, I, I can't even touch that right now. And so, uh, yeah, I started looking these things up. So yeah, anyone interested in the television? And this time next year, you should have a lot of options available to you and they shouldn't be overly priced. And then the few that are, they can do it right now will probably be, you know, in that $500 range for a 65 inch or less. So uh, you can get in at a reasonable price.
2: I so. think that's a great point, Nick. But I I think expanding on that though, um, I mean, with Black Friday coming around, the, there, there was going to be some good deals. I mean, I, when I bought my 4K TV, that it was uh, geez, three years ago, I think. And, um, at that time, I mean, it was, it could do HDR and it had a refresh rate of 240 Hertz. Um, and so, and, and the price of the TV came down to like half, I think when it was brand new, it was like three grand. And because I'm a hoarder and I was, I've been hoarding all my, my target gift cards from when I (laughs) phones there, I, I got the TV for, um, or it was three grand brand spanking. Then on Black Friday, it got cut in half. And then I used all my gift cards and then, you know, saved a bunch of money uh, that way. But um, the deals are definitely there and the technology is definitely there. But I think you make it make a good point. And that, uh, you know, don't just go out and buy random brand, ec- you know, 4K TV just because it says 4K TV. Yeah, do your her- homework. Do your homework. There's a bunch more stuff that's involved in just buying a 4K TV. You don't want to cheapen yourself out on buying a, a big TV just because it has two digits on there, the number four and the letter K. Um, do your homework. Get a good TV. Spend a little bit more if you have to. Because it's going to be something you're going to be hanging on to for quite some time as well as the system, and you're going to want to maximize your enjoyment.
0: 100% it's very true. And, and, and for me, um, I, I've been looking, I was looking at, at certain 4K TVs, but I'm glad that you brought that up, Nick, just because the specs for these systems, um, particularly the 120 frames per second, apparently certain 4K TVs do not support that.
1: Yeah. that And that's really the thing that's holding stuff back for a lot of people. And that's the part of the technology that there's not a lot of TVs that take advantage of being able to push 120 frames per second.
0: Okay. Well, in conclusion, what what are your concluding thoughts on the Xbox Series X and what you've heard about with regards to the PS5, Nick?
1: Well, can I start by asking you a question first?
0: Oh, absolutely. I love questions.
1: Okay. Because there's one thing I don't know about the PS5 If it offers this sort of feature. Do you know, does the PS5 have an auto HDR feature for backwards compatible games?
0: Ooh, that is a good question. I don't know.
2: I I would venture to say, I, mean, I don't know either one hundred percent, but I'd venture to say yes because my PS Four does on certain games that load up. I'll see the little HDR insignia pop up on my TV, only with the PlayStation and not with my Xbox. Mm-hmm. So I, the Avengers will do it, Ghost of Tsushima will do it, you know for sure. God of War will do it.
1: Well, they do have that on the the X and the S now, and wow, go throw in a game like Arkham Knight. And you will be blown away because, I mean, that's a gritty game. It's very dark, but then it has all the neon signs of Arkham City. And with the HDR, it just, wow. I mean, the, the, the neon signs in Gotham just pop. The rain effects oh, with, the, with the reflections. It's, it's impressive. I, I don't know exactly how they did it, what kind of architecture they're using to create that sort of thing, but it is noticeable and it is fantastic really like that for backwards compatible cuz it just it just makes everything just pop really cool features. So again, I, I think uh, for early adopters of these uh of these systems what you're really going to enjoy is what it does to what you already have. There is no killer app right now. The closest thing to killer app I think is probably over on the PS5 with the Miles Morales. I've seen some video of that. Wow. I'll say that. Um that that for sure solidified me that I'm going to be buying a uh a PS5 here, probably in the early next year. So I got to I got to check that out. That looked pretty impressive. But for, for those who are adopting right now and we're lucky enough to get one or we'll get one by Christmas, go and enjoy some of your favorite old titles. That's what I would say. Go and enjoy I, those old games that you love and it's going to be a new experience.
0: I do think that that is an area where I think Xbox has an advantage over PS5. I, I'm looking online here. I'm not seeing anything definitive. I, I seem to come across certain articles where it says PS5 could be getting Xbox's auto HDR like feature, but I'm not seeing anything that says, yes, they do in fact have it at this time. It could be a firmware update. I'm not exactly sure, but it sounds at least upon looking initially that that is an area where Xbox has been designed to take advantage of that. But you also have to have an HDR enabled television right you can't just play that on just any tv screen in order to see the auto hdr effects
1: no it, that, that is true you're going to need to have the the proper hardware and that means a tv that it can actually take advantage of hdr um, for those that do you'll like it it's it's really nice it's a really nice feature it really adds a lot of life and light because yeah. it just blows up the color palette
0: so uh, going back to my, my last question to you, um, just in, in conclusion, Nick, what are your thoughts in terms of what you've experienced so far with the Xbox Series X and what you've heard about with regards to the PS5?
1: I'm super excited about the PS5. I'll start with that since I don't have one of those. Um, I had a lot of questions going into this podcast about uh, what your thoughts were and I haven't asked you about any because I wanted to wait. And uh, from what you said about the controller, which I think is an underrated part of the gaming experience, I think it's an often overlooked part uh, part of the experience, whether you're talking about comfort or you're talking about new features that really create increased immersion. And it sounds like they've dove in feet first to ratcheting that up to 100 and trying to take that immersion even further. And in the end of the day... That's why we play games, right? It's it's to immerse ourselves in a world different from our own, to, to go and experience adventures and and things that we can't do in our day-to-day and escape from the day-to-day. And I think anything that pushes that part of, of gaming forward, immersion, is something that really bears a lot of uh, attention and I don't think it should be overlooked. So I'm pretty excited about getting my hands on that controller. I'm excited about the fact that it's bigger. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. Uh, I happen to really like the aesthetics of the, uh, the PlayStation five. Um, I think that it looks pretty neat. I was excited to hear that there actually are lights on my Xbox. And I think if you stand it up next to a TV, if you've got a, you know, a entertainment center big enough to do it, that it eventually will just become another part of that whole setup. And, you know, maybe the, the look of it will grow on you, but yeah, I'm really excited about trying it out. Um, I am interested to find out. I've not been able to find anywhere if there's any major differences between the digital version of the PS5 and the disc version. Because being that I'm not a primary PS5 user, I don't have any PS5 hard copy games anymore. I'm seriously considering the digital route of the Mm. all-digital machine because it's going to be a system that for me is mostly for their first-party titles because they do such a fantastic job on their first-party stuff. And I want to... I want to experience those games this time around and uh so i i'm really wanting to learn more about that digital version uh because i do think that is what i'm going to get and i'll just have digital copies of games uh i will say for my end on the xbox i am loving the speed with which games load i am loving the increase in frame rate and just uh having a really good time just kind of like going back and exploring old games and seeing what the additional hardware can do for them. Uh, I just, uh, like I said, I just loaded up a couple. I actually just loaded up uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which is an Xbox One, or not probably Xbox One, it's original Xbox game. Because uh, I want to see what it does for it, you know, because uh, supposedly that HDR, auto HDR effects, supposed to work in there. There's supposed to be some graphical improvements as well as load time improvements and frame rate improvements. And so I want to see how that looks on a really, really old title. So I'm going to check that out today. But uh, yeah, I'm excited about both of these, these uh, consoles. I, I think that um, they both bring a lot to the table. They both bring different things. With Xbox, you get a little more power, and, but you probably won't really see the advantage of the, you know, the, the power difference until near the end of the console life. That tends to be how it is. Um, other than that, they'll probably be pretty similar for a long time in performance. And But I think that immersion side of the PS5 is really interesting. I'm really fascinated by what that adds and if companies will take advantage. Like, for instance, when you were telling me about the haptic feedback and everything, I could just, all I could think about was Gran Turismo. And I'm like, man, if they have motion controls for that, where you use the controller, like your steering wheel, instead of using the thumbsticks, oh yeah, that would be amazing. I will be all over that because you know, I love the racing games. So, you know, and I love Gran Turismo. So, Yeah. I'm very fascinated to see how that gets utilized long term.
0: What about you, Steve?
2: Well, I I I'm excited that we're finally here. Uh, we've been talking about this for a long, long, long time. So long. And <laughs> so long. <laughs> and but I, I so I'm excited and I am also Confirmed that I'm not going to be stressed on getting one very, very soon. I, do I want one now? Yes, I do. But, um, you know, with the limited amount of games that are out um, <laughs> and the, the time it really takes to set it up, like, why go through it? If, you, if in the end, you're just going to play the titles that you already have. Um, with the Series X, I mean, yeah, that's that's way more prominent because of what's coming out on, on Game Pass and stuff that I haven't even played yet and stuff that I games I haven't even haven't even conquered yet. Um, you know, I, I definitely would, would want to do that, but I but that is not something that I want to do that or that I really have to do necessarily right away. Uh, do I want to be ready for the next gen stuff that that comes out next year? Well, yeah, I do, but that doesn't really um, set a fire underneath me to go out and get one. Uh, you know, today or wait in line at 5 a.m. like you asked me to do the other day, Russ. Um, <laughs> let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's just do it before work. Let's just go. I tried enough. to
0: convince him for old time's sake and uh, he wanted nothing to do with it.
2: Right. It's hard getting up early, man. Yeah. So um, anyhow, I'm, I'm stoked that they're here. I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds, uh, you know, but this, I think this is the first year where i I haven't been so, antsy-pantsy to, to go out rushing and get it and, and and brag that I got one on the first day uh, just because of the, the lack of, of games that are available for it. And, um, you know, I mean, it's not a necessarily a bad thing, but um, will, I, will I get it? Yes, I will. I'm just not stressing, but uh, I'm glad they're here.
0: Sure. Yeah, for me, I, I, I think Steve brings up a, a valid point, which is that right now, we have what are largely expensive paperweights because we don't have killer apps that have been launched with a title. And it's so bizarre to me because this is the first time that's happened. Every other console launch, there has been uh, a handful of titles available on day one that unmistakably showcase... The, like what the console is capable of, at least when it comes to the first generation of titles. Having said that though, I think that we are living in a very exciting time where a lot of thought and effort has gone into being able to have backwards compatibility with your existing library of titles. And not only can you play those games, but that also there are certain optimizations that have taken place. And I do think that that is worthy of merit just because it just, it breathes new life into those titles that we've already played, or maybe we haven't played yet, but it makes it feel inclusive in terms of having a quasi next-gen experience with those older titles. And, there, and especially when it comes to some of the greats, like you you really want to be able to, to play them to the best of their ability. So I think that that is really cool. There, there is something to be said for that. And moving forward, it's nice to know that we will have that compatibility honored. At least that's what they've told us.
1: Can I say um, something real quick about the backwards compatibility too? That's sure. Yeah. So I think the other thing that's really good about backwards compatibility is that, I mean, games are a medium we've grown up with. They've been with us for most of our life. I, I mean, I started on pong cause I'm ancient and what you're seeing now is that through backwards compatibility, we're now having almost like a, it's almost like a library, like a historical account, right? Where we're, we're recognizing that video games are a very big part of our culture, widely accepted by society and the amount of time and effort and where it's come from to where it is now needs to be preserved. Right? Cause previously before backwards compatibility, there comes a point where unless you keep a hold of an old system and it somehow continues to work, that games are lost to time. And these things have tons of hours and tons of effort and energy and ingenuity and artistic vision and storytelling that have been put into them, that it would be tragic for them to just be lost to time every couple uh, you know, console generations. And now we're seeing that we're creating a historical archive where things are always available, where we can always go and look back where we came from to where we are now, enjoy an older title. Because, I mean, when we started, graphics weren't what drove games, it was the gameplay. But we can still go back and enjoy that, right? And I think that we're creating a historical archive. And I think that it's not anything that anybody's really talking about with backwards compatibility. I don't even know if these companies are thinking about it in that terms, but it's someone who's a history buff and appreciates the importance of knowing where we come from to inform where we're going. I think it's awesome that we're seeing that both Sony and Xbox are doing everything they can to basically catalog these games uh, as we continue to play on into the rest of our lives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. I, I think I totally agree. I think Steve does too. Um, you know, when it comes to the 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 actual launch day of any given next gen cycle as a gamer. It's so fun to be a part of. And I think that it it has always been this palpable thing that as the days tick away and we get closer and closer to, to being able to buy that system. And I remember back in the day how like we would go to like a software, et cetera, or electronic boutique um, or a Babbage's, I mean, even going to a Toys R Us, you know, I think that that there is something that is so satisfying to gamers when we are on those those days of launch. We're able to to have the 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 game console box in our arms, and we've been able to pick out a game or two that we can take home, and the the level of excitement and anticipation with that has always remained. And even in this situation where we don't have launch. Um, games that have been available, but having the systems in hand, being able to open up the box and not knowing like how exactly we're going to respond. We know we're excited. We know we have the anticipation. We know we're going to look forward to being able to enjoy whatever is in that box. But I, for one, have always enjoyed that experience. It's almost like Christmas, if you will, where like you have a present. And for me, like I've never been the type to just tear through the wrapping paper. You know, I've, I've always appreciated the 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 unknown, right? Like like being able to like take my time unwrapping a gift and then being able to soak in and look at it, study it, go through the motions of it. I, I've never been one to just be like, okay, I'm done. What's for dinner? Or what's for lunch? Or whatever, you know, like, like go on to the next thing. I, I've always really taken the time to look into that. And I feel like, when you have a new video game system, there is very much that type of palpable experience that I think we all go through and we all really enjoy. And and I think it's exclusive in a lot of ways. I would say probably the closest to this would be like, if you were to get like a new iPhone or a new droid, right? Like a new Android phone, something along those levels. But, I would argue that the gaming console system is in a class unto itself, exclusive from the iPhones and and other types of hardware peripherals. And I have always enjoyed how even, you know, here I am, I'm in my forties and I still get that sense of being a 10 year old again, being able to open up this box, see the system for the first time that we've seen countless times online and relish that, that moment, you know, be able to, to like burn into our cerebellum, like, like those, um, those new joyous occasions, basically, you know, you're having a joygasm opening up this box, seeing what it is that is going to be entertaining us for the next 10 plus years until the next cycle comes and presents itself. But I've always really looked forward to those moments and, I mean, it doesn't matter who you talk to who's a gamer. They'll be able to tell you the time when they unboxed their Nintendo system, their Sega system, their TurboGrafx-16 system, their Atari system, their Xbox system, their PlayStation system. I mean, like, it's it really is a special moment that we all have. And we've done it time and time again as each cycle ends and the next one begins. It's almost like this like this Phoenix moment in gaming. Um, So I, I for one, am very happy that I was able to have a PS5 here. I look forward to being able to to gain the Xbox Series X. And if for nothing else, I'm very much am, am excited that they have positioned themselves to really offer game development tons of opportunities to look at how they can make their gaming experiences that much better, that much more immersive. And I just, I mean, I, I I smile as I say this because it is so fun to be a gamer. And I think that for those who are not into it, it's one of those things where I feel pity for them because it's like, man, you're missing out because there's so much fun to be had. And it's so fun to see how this has been an evolution time and time again over the last 50 years. So Anyway, that wraps up this episode of Joy, guys, and make sure you tune in next week. I want to thank Nick for hanging out with us and being a special guest. Uh, And I want to thank all of you for hanging out with us as well. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, which is spelled J-O-Y-G-A-S-M and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention, it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you all next week.